Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. did the wokeism, and in particular, the facet of wokeism that deals with gender ideology, where did it come from? It certainly didn't just pop up a couple of years ago, or even a decade ago, or even in the 1960s. Where did it come from? Who were the original thinkers that laid the foundation for gender ideology today? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. On this Friday, February the 3rd, we're going to talk about the ideas of 20th century French philosopher Michel Foucault. Dr. Jordan Cooper joins us. He's executive director of Justin Center, president of the American Lutheran Theological Seminary, and host of a YouTube video titled Michel Foucault on Power. Jordan, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Todd. Who was Michel Foucault? Yeah, so Michel Foucault, he's a really important name to know if you want to know anything about scholarship in the 20th century. And I mean that in the most broad sense possible, and to just understand a lot of the dynamics that we're facing in our world today. So there's a lot to say about Michel Foucault. In short, he was a French intellectual. He was born in Poitiers, France in 1926. He then went on to study philosophy and wrote on topics like philosophy, history, and even to some extent linguistics and and some other topics. But he's most well known for being one of the most significant philosophers associated with post-modernity, probably next to Jacques Derrida as the most significant French thinker of his time. So the ideas, though, of Foucault have penetrated almost every field of thought in in our world today and stand behind a lot of the popular conversations and debates that we currently are having politically and culturally. Where would we see his influence in postmodern wokeism? I guess the question more would be, where don't we see his influence there? I think Foucault really sets the the groundwork, and, and it's not him as an isolated figure, but in some ways, he really is the central figure of this, that he really sets the the stage for conversations about nearly everything really revolving around the subject of power. In many ways, we could say that he really is a, a thinker of power, a philosopher of power. And for Foucault, pretty much everything relates to, to questions of power dynamics. So when you get in conversations today, whether it's about gender or race or other issues, where people start to analyze the history of any subject or ideas in any culture or rituals in any culture by coming to it with a starting point of something like, say, white supremacy or the patriarchy. When you're starting to examine any particular issue and coming from the perspective of asking the question, how does this affect power? How does this lead to oppression of one group or oppression of another group? How does this make someone kind of the other or the oppressed in the way that you do this or that? And those conversations happen all the time. I mean, you think about things like microaggressions, or you think about how people criticize how language is used, the words that we use, or try to police language because to use this term is a tool of power or oppression over this or that group of people. All of that really comes back to Foucault. 
What was Foucault's relationship to Marxism? Yeah, so Marxism is, of course, a significant movement. We're talking about leftist intellectual ideas coming out of the 19th century, and and Marxism certainly influences us in our world today in pretty profound ways. And the relationship between Foucault and Marxism is one that's been debated a little bit. But what's very clear is in Foucault's earlier career, when he was in college, like a lot of other leftist thinkers in college at that time, he was inundated by socialist ideas. And he became a bit of an idealist for a brief time, thinking that the socialist revolution was going to save the West or something like that. And Foucault himself had some of the same influences as Marx, especially the thought of the German philosopher Hegel, who uh, Foucault wrote his dissertation on. But then later in life, in fact, pretty early in his more academic career, he did give up a lot of the ideas of Marxism. But I think even though he gave up a lot of the ideas from Marx explicitly, he and Marx share a lot of the same common concerns about power dynamics. So they they deal with it in different ways. And what you do see is in a lot of modern, what are sometimes called post-Marxist thinkers, a lot of leftist thinkers today kind of grab onto ideas of Foucault and of Marx and bring them together. So certainly when you're talking about progressive ideas today, Foucault and Marx are both pretty significant figures that that tend to be brought together on quite a few issues. What were the particular similarities of Foucault's thought to Marxism? Yeah, so there are some ideas in Foucault that pretty clearly are aligned with ideas that you find in Marx. And these are things that start to just kind of show up in 19th century thought in general as well. And probably the most significant of those is the question of power and power relations. And when you're looking at someone like Karl Marx, he has this analysis of power, but it's largely economic. So Marx generally divides his understanding of history and the world, especially of capitalism and then what's later called late capitalism but by other Marxists is there is a distinction between those who produce things and then those who control the means of production. So the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. And so you have this basic class struggle of power dynamics where you have those who control the means of production basically exploiting their workers. So we have this kind of us versus them dynamic that shows up in Marxist thought regarding power. But power is seen pretty much as strictly economic power. So Foucault grabs onto those notions of power, but he applies it far beyond economics. So we can talk about that a little bit as we move on a little a little later into Foucault's notion of power. But just to say the ideas of power that you find in someone like Marx, and this is also from Nietzsche, who Foucault is very much influenced by, are going to shape Foucault, but he has a far more expansive view of power beyond just the question of, of economics. So some other similarities, I mean, certainly... Foucault is an influential, if not maybe the most influential of the 20th century, leftist thinker. And so if you look at today, the most significant leftist academics and look at their influences, almost all of them are going to cite Foucault. So for example, if you read some of the intersectional theorists that are writing today, Kimberly Crenshaw and and others, they cite Foucault extensively because in some ways his ideas really stand behind that. And so there is a an adherence to a kind of leftist politics in Foucault and Marx, it just comes out a little differently. Another similarity that 
that's pretty significant between those two thinkers and of a lot of leftist intellectuals in general is a firm rejection of traditional Western ideals. So a view of the past that is pessimistic, uh, a view of the past, especially in the West, that views the past as, as a series of times of oppression in one way or another and doesn't see the the heritage of the West as something positive and good that we have inherited, but really something that needs to be overthrown in some way because it's really just been upheld by structures of oppression and power. So there are plenty of more points of, of similarity, but perhaps those are the some of the key things that tie Foucault and Marx together in their ideas. How would you summarize the differences between the two? Yeah, so this is important because sometimes Foucault is portrayed on a popular level as a Marxist. And while there certainly are these areas of of overlap and similarity, Foucault also differs from Marx on some pretty fundamental things. Probably the most important of those is the question of teleology. And, And when I say teleology, I mean that there is a kind of end goal in history. So Karl Marx and this is largely due to the influence of somebody like Hegel, but Karl Marx believed that the world was in this kind of process of coming to know itself, a process of improvement. And this is generally kind of in the waters of the 19th century, that people believe that humans are progressing, the world is kind of becoming better. So if you think of the term progressive, we talk about progressives, in many ways that comes from, from Marx and other thinkers like him, that, that societies are naturally in a kind of state of evolution or, or progressing. So for Marx, there needed to be this socialist revolution, and that socialist revolution was ultimately going to lead to some kind of a utopian society, that the kinds of class struggles and oppressions that existed in capitalism would be overthrown. And, you know, in some ways, Marx is more Christian in that Christianity is also a narrative about kind of what's wrong with the world, how that problem has been solved and what the end is going to be. In other words, from a Christian perspective, we believe that there is actually a purpose in history. There is a goal in history. God is guiding history. And ultimately, he's guiding history toward toward the end, which is the return of Christ and the, the new heavens and new earth. So, Marx poses basically an alternative religion in some way, an idea that, well, there is an end goal in history, but he he secularizes it. So the end goal is this kind of perfection in economic justice in the world. Now, Foucault, as a postmodern philosopher, rejects the idea of meta-narrative. And by meta-narrative, what I mean is a kind of grand story that we're all part of. For Foucault, history is kind of meaningless and purposeless. It's really just a series of power dynamics and that's it. So he's going to get rid of the teleology of Marx. In other words, he doesn't really see a positive goal. He doesn't really see a future. Power dynamics are just kind of what there is and that's basically it. So he doesn't have the same utopian hopes that Marx and then some of the later Marxists are going to have. And then the the second major difference then is going to be, as I already kind of mentioned before, is the distinction between this oppression and Marx doesn't use the term oppression. He talks about exploitation, but in, in modern terms, we tend to talk about oppression. But Marx talks about oppression more in economic terms, whereas Foucault is going to say oppression is just an interpersonal thing that happens in basically every single sphere of life. 
Dr. Jordan Cooper is our guest. We're talking about the ideas of 20th century French philosopher Michel Foucault. What was his view of power next? Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, Remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry. LCMS.org slash Deaconess. One of the most difficult decisions that a spouse has to make is the decision to put their beloved husband or wife into a long-term care facility as a result of mental illness. In the February issue of The Lutheran Witness, the Reverend Michael Casting tells the story of how he cared for his wife during her struggle with Alzheimer's and how he came to grips with this decision. To find out more, you can read his article in the February issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. At Zion Lutheran Church, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, we've adopted the motto, A Changeless Christ for a Changing World. While many congregations try to market a message that appeals to what a changing world wants, we continue to give a constantly changing world what it needs. A changeless Christ in word and sacraments like the church has done for 2,000 years. If you're in Chippewa Falls and would like to have the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and salvation that Jesus won on the cross and delivers today in His church, please join us poor miserable sinners. For more information, visit cfzionlutheran.com. Lutheranism in the Public Square. You're listening to Issues Etc. You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Geeshan. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in an advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry. It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program. Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're discussing the ideas of 20th century French philosopher Michel Foucault, Dr. Jordan Cooper, President of the American Lutheran Theological Seminary is our guest. 
You had mentioned this before in passing, but what was Foucault's view of power? Yeah, and this is what what really I think is most significant if we're talking about Foucault's influence on people, how people understand history today. And so this is impacting, for example, how school curriculums understand and teach history to young students. And I'm not just talking about a college level, I'm talking about at an elementary, middle, high school level. So when we're talking about power, if you look at questions of power in earlier philosophy, power tends to be restricted to what Foucault refers to as sovereign power which is questions of the state. So if you look at someone like Thomas Hobbes or you know, some political philosophers, and often this is how we think about power, is we think about the power of the state. Questions of like how much authority should the government have? How small should the government be? How big should the government be? What should the government have a say over? What should it not have a say over? Those kinds of questions historically have largely been related to power. So we think about power, we think pretty much about the state, though that's not exclusive. Well, in the 19th century, power starts to become a little more expansive. And so we see in Foucault kind of the flowering of these ideas that had already been there. Uh, We see this, for example, in Friedrich Nietzsche, who is probably the most significant philosopher in terms of forming Foucault's ideas. So Nietzsche first has this intimate connection between power and knowledge. And that that connection between power and knowledge is going to be really significant for Foucault and a lot of modern leftist thinkers as well. And that works in a kind of reciprocal way. So if you have, for Foucault, the more knowledge you have, essentially the more power you're going to have. And people use the knowledge that they have as an instrument of power. But also he's going to say that those who are in power create knowledge. So the standards of what is good and right in a society, those things that people come to know or see as knowledge, Foucault is going to say, All of that is really just determined by the people in power. So those in power have a vested interest in promoting their ideals in saying that it's really knowledge. So what it leads you to is kind of a skepticism of knowledge altogether, uh, because for Foucault, even science is really determined by power dynamics. There is no objective field of, of science. There is just those in power trying to oppress other people by trying to argue that their knowledge is correct and doing that to force their ideals onto others. So we see that this power-knowledge relationship means that power is intimately tied to things like education and really everything (laughs) in, in life, because everything in life somehow has to do with knowledge in one way or another. But he also, when he's talking about power, uh, he speaks about different kinds of, of power. There's disciplinary power, which is kind of power over the self, which he sees as good things. So power from Foucault is not always bad, but often is. But here's maybe where what's really significant about power, the, the category that he introduces into this conversation is biopower. And what he means by biopower is power over bodies. So for Foucault, uh, you know, the state, not exclusively the state, because he sees other culture and, and education and pretty much everything, any institution that exists is forms of trying to create some kind of hegemony or or some kind of agreement on the people on behalf of the people that supports that particular institution and those in power. But he sees that they're all going to try to control bodies. And that means the state tries to control bodies, you know, health organizations try to control bodies, education tries to control bodies, and religion tries to control bodies. So in some way, the physical body becomes the center of power and then of, of power dynamics. So, you know, say if you're talking about the abortion 
debates, uh, whereas the those who support abortion are going to say things like "my body, my choice," right? And, and that is a way to resist the state, resist biopower in their view. So ultimate freedom comes in an ultimate resistance to oppression largely comes by doing things with the body. So so in all of these ways, power is is really involved for Foucault in every single personal relationship, every single institution. Almost any interaction we have can be broken down to relations of power between subjects. What is that concept of the subject? So what is the subject? The subject is, this is a major theme in postmodern thought in general. And I would say here, he actually, he's in agreement with, with Marx, who kind of tries to tear down the idea of the subject. But I would say that if you look at kind of classical thought, and certainly from a Christian approach, which is where obviously we're coming from in, in this evaluation, from a classical Christian approach, it's, if you talk about who the subject is or who the self is, there is something that objectively exists that is yourself. In other words, you have a soul. Okay. So largely that's what we're talking about. And if you go back to the ancient Greek philosophers, they would say the same thing. Like what determines a person who you are? Well, who you are is soul and body, but the soul is something that is objectively given to you by God. And the person that you are can change depending on circumstances, but your essential self, who you are still exists because it's not like your soul becomes another soul. You've got an objective soul that just exists over time. But Foucault denies the existence of the soul and says that the idea of the subject or the self at all, he says, it's not something that is objective, that it's just given, that's something that's just kind of created by God and is inherently true or real. He says, instead, the idea of the self at all or the subject is just created in and through society. So even the idea of a self for Foucault is not inherent, it's created by society. So there is no real soul, there is no real inner self, there is just what society creates. And he says subjects or the self, he says you're you're created by society and then you're also oppressed by the same society that forms them. So the self is both created and oppressed by society. And the subject then is, is formed to, conform to the broader society. So it's oppressed by the broader society in that what society does, he would say that society operates through what he calls discourse. And discourse is these dynamics of power. And this is true in, and when we think of discourse, we think conversation, like verbal conversation. And that's true for Foucault, but it goes beyond that too. It's also questions of social norms and, and what is expected of somebody and how you are educated. And he says this discourse, these discourses of power place people into categories and they do that to oppress people or to make people other. Societies determine what creates something as normative or normal and decides that other things are abnormal. And and for Foucault, there's no such thing really inherently because there's no such thing as inherently a self or anything. So for Foucault, what's considered normal is just society telling you something is normal. And then what is abnormal is just what society says is abnormal, but there's nothing beyond that. There's nothing objective that's normal or good or abnormal or bad. It's just whatever society says. So he says, rules of any given society, we accept them as absolute truth. The reason we accept those things as true is because society has oppressed us and tried to cause us to think that, but they are not actually true. So that's essentially, I think if you're going to kind of get to the core idea though, the reason why Foucault sees things this way is really a denial of the soul. 
it's a denial of the soul. And if there is no soul, there's nothing God given or created about us. What else is there than our social relations? So that we can't really speak of any inner self with any inherent worth or value. We are just whatever society says we are. And I think you see this, you know, if you're going to give a modern day example, and there are so many that we could we could give, but think about the transgender movement. And if you look at some gender theorists like Judith Butler, who's probably the most significant figure in the transgender movement in terms of giving intellectual backing to it, Butler is going to rely largely on Foucault and say, well, there is no inner self. There is just who you are as society determines you to be. So there is no such thing as a man. There's no such thing as a woman. There's just what society says is a man or a woman. So in order to be a man or a woman, all you have to do is kind of take on that societal role or do the things society says a woman does, and therefore you're a woman, or do the things that society says a man does, and then you're a man. We see this influence of Foucault in a lot of our current debates on gender issues. Is Foucault's idea here subject to the same fatal weakness that kind of all postmodern thought, which is it's self-defeating, if there are no absolute truths, then what Foucault is saying, while he, it claims to be absolutely true, cannot be. Yeah. I mean, that's the dilemma that all postmodern philosophers get into. It's the same thing with Derrida, who says the uh, you know intent of the author doesn't mean anything. Words don't have any inherent meaning. And then you're like, well, why are you spending your entire life writing lots of words that you are trying to convince us <laughs> of certain ideas? It's assuming something else. I think that would be true in Foucault as well. But also, if you, I'm sure if you asked Foucault and said, are your works just essentially power dynamics? I think he would also say yes. <laughs> I think he would, to some extent, recognize that. And in some way, I think postmodern philosophers tend to even kind of revel maybe in the contradiction of what they're doing, because they're opposed to any notion of, of real logic. Not that they don't use logic in any sense, but but logic isn't something that's kind of inherently true or good in the way that it has been understood. It's also just a tool of oppression. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right that that contradiction stands. But at the same time, Foucault would probably recognize that and wouldn't really bother him very much. We're discussing the ideas of 20th century French philosopher Michel Foucault with Dr. Jordan Cooper of Justin Sinner. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, volume two, is our Issues Etc. book of the month for February. It's brimming with a rich history that's been passed down through generations of Christians. It has devotional commentary and lots of historical facts. Find out more about it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. We come to the subject of sexuality and how Foucault understands that subject next. Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. 
Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Greetings, fellow Lutherans. Ad Crucem has an amazing number of new products on the website. Come and see our new Sunday School or Confirmation medallions featuring the six chief parts and Luther's seal. Browse our stunning incense burners and their engraved solid wood boxes. Purchase Kathy and Kelly's beautiful new jewellery for your beloved for Valentine's Day or order some personalised stickers for your church or school. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're discussing the ideas of 20th century French philosopher Michel Foucault. Dr. Jordan Cooper of Justin Sinner is our guest. Dr. Cooper, how did Foucault understand sexuality? Yeah, so sexuality is probably the area where Foucault's ideas are most obvious. It's not, it's not the only area. I mean, I think it's, it's all over the place, but it's certainly an area that he has a really significant impact. He began writing and didn't quite finish it, A History of Sexuality. And that was, he began that, it was in 1976. Parts of it were published after. But Foucault has a really odd uh, relationship to sexuality in general. And and I don't want to be too explicit on here, but he participated in a lot of practices that would largely be considered like sexually deviant practices himself, including with underage boys. So he himself experimented, if you want to use that language, but with all sorts of things in terms of, of his own sexuality. But this is where you see, I think, the practical implications of what Foucault is trying to say. Because sexuality is an area for Foucault where society has determined that certain kinds of sexual relationships or actions are are good and other ones are not. And he sees this as not inherent, but just something that society says because society says it. In other words, it is heterosexual monogamous relationships that are enforced And those things are enforced kind of top down because of those who are in power have a vested interest in that because it gives them their power to keep promoting this as as normative. So he sees, you know, heterosexuality and monogamy as non-normative. He is a homosexual himself, and he is certainly not monogamous. But I think you could also say that he does the same thing with any kind of age of consent as well, which is why he's okay with underage children. And that's kind of the implication of his thought that leftists, they don't want to go there because they don't want to kind of acknowledge it. But Foucault himself did go there. 
that's the consistent application because if you're going to get away from any societal norms, why would age be a societal norm? We're talking about sexuality. So I think Foucault is only is only consistent. It's gross, but but it's consistent with his own ideas. Again, we, we get to this idea of biopower, that the way that people are controlled is essentially by controlling the body. And if that's the case, then if we're to resist oppression for Foucault, the place of resistance is the body. So in other words, sexual liberation or freedom to be sexually deviant as you want to be for Foucault, that is the way that you resist the power that is against you. So in some ways, deviant sexuality then becomes really heroic for Foucault. You want to be a good moral person and fight against the oppressive evil class. How you do that is by deviant sexual practices. So that's really obvious today. I mean, how the sexual revolution is with us, uh, you know, and and it seems like it's getting more and more extreme as as time goes on but you know i mean just this just this last week there was a sam smith singer had like a really really sexually disgusting stuff that i wouldn't even want to talk about in in his music video and, and people are praising that as some kind of statement against like heteronormativity and and you know oppressive sexual ideals and that's foucault i mean that's just foucault on display in a very real way you said a little bit about this before, but what was Foucault's historical method? Yeah, pretty much all the ideas of Foucault come forth or are shown or written in historical kind of narratives. So while his actual scholarly work and his, his dissertation was philosophy, was Hegel, so it's so related to philosophy of history, he's largely a historian in his own writing. So he, he speaks about an, developing an archaeology of history, an archaeology of knowledge. He's got a book called that, published in 1969. Sometimes he refers to a kind of genealogical study of history. That term is taken from Nietzsche. But there are a few key points to, to understand in Foucault's understanding of history. The first of those is what I already mentioned earlier, which is that for Foucault, there is no goal in history. It's not divinely driven. It's not driven toward any particular end. It just is. What happens in history is just what happens in history. There's nothing guiding it. There's no goal. There's no necessary purpose in it. He also displaces the subject or the individual as being at the center of history because we don't really have, again, eternal or transcendent souls. Instead, history is really the history of society because society kind of determines everything else in what is society but discourses of power. So that means that at the center of of all history and all historical study is essentially a study of power and oppression. He looks at things like how he has a history of madness that he writes where he talks about psychiatric hospitals and how the insane have been treated and how that's shifted throughout history. He's got stuff on hospitals. He talks about punishment and prisons in his work, Discipline and Punish, and then sexuality, as we already talked about. But essentially, when he's looking at history, he takes history and divides it into kind of neat little historical periods. And that's been criticized by historians because it's it's far too neat and simplistic. But he talks about these periods as episteme. So he essentially says every historical period, so if you take some kind of epoch, say the classical Greek era, he's going to say, if you take the classical Greeks, you could take that episteme, as he called it, and ask the question, what were their views of truth then? What were their views of morality? How did power work in that particular era? And he would say that We can take every period of history and ask those kinds of questions and simply say that in those eras, we're not talking about any transcendent real truth. All we could talk about if we're saying talking about truth or morality is 
well, what were the views of truth in that era and that culture? What were the views of truth in that era, that culture? And we can't talk about anything really, really objective. So he can study these, you know, historical time periods and groups as these kind of kind of self-isolated groups of ideas of what's right and what's wrong, but there's nothing really behind that. We can't say that one culture is right or one culture is wrong. So you have a, an absolute kind of cultural relativism that there really is no kind of overarching way to judge a past society. You just are looking at it as it is. How influential has Foucault been in academia? I mean, Foucault has been so influential in academia, it's hard to even overestimate it. I think Foucault, probably more than even Marx in, in modern, certainly leftist thinking, which you know a lot of academia is, Foucault just, he's influenced nearly every single field that exists today in the academy. In some ways, I would say that he's, it's Foucault who's kind of destroyed the academy in a lot of ways because disciplines cease to exist. So for example, if you look at, and, and this isn't just Foucault, I mean, Derrida's a major force here too, and you could even go to people like Roland Barthes and, and some others, but look at literature, you know, the study of literature. You know, if you are, you know, and I know this because I talk to students and I, I do ministry with students regularly in undergraduate setting, and you talk to students who study, who study literature, those students, if you ask them about about books, they're they're not studying great books in in their literature courses. They're studying the history of oppression throughout literary texts. So you know how women are oppressed, how minorities are oppressed, how heteronormativity is pushed through this or that. The whole discipline of literature, in some ways, and, and the humanities especially in general, has kind of been totally destroyed. I say by Foucault. So especially in the humanities, it has had a massive, massive impact within academia. Uh, I think the sciences are a little more resistant to it just because they kind of have to be, <laughs> because science actually has to produce things and it actually has to have experiments for in order for it to work. And there's also a kind of financial motive there as well, because sciences lead to the development of new technologies that are going to make money. And if you use postmodern principles, then you can't actually do anything productive. So there's, I think, some monetary, some kind of curb maybe <laughs> to keep the scientists in check a little more, though it's encroaching in those fields as well, and even encroaching in, in the field of classical studies more than it had been you know, 10 years ago. And I would also say that it influences how our curriculums are, are created even for elementary age students. So when I hear about students in, in elementary schools who are being taught of, say, the history of the United States, as you know, a history of, of say oppression, so that when you are looking at the founding fathers or the the history of whatever it may be, you're looking at it just to look at the power dynamics and just to say how did these people abuse power, and then how does that relate to our world today? Now, of course, to be clear, there's plenty of abuse of power in history, and that includes American history and every other kind of history. So nobody is is denying that historians, of course, talk about oppression. And, and of course, that's a reality in history. But for Foucault, that is history. There is nothing outside of the oppressive power dynamics. That's it. So I think we, we see that in many places today. Dr. Cooper, how do we combat Foucault's errors when we encounter them in our culture? I think the best way to counter them more than anything else is to really just be able to recognize them. And I think that the the ideas that are pushed, I'd say especially in media, they in some ways thrive off of ignorance because 
you just kind of adopt maybe the ideas of Foucault or, or other postmoderns or whoever, you adopt it kind of unconsciously because it's what's taught to you in media, right? These ideas are put forth in the TV shows you watch, they're put forth in the music you listen to, and then the curriculum of your, say, education. You're kind of adopting these things uncritically because you're just thinking, well, this is just how the world is. This is just how people think. And so I think the best way to combat these ideas is just education and information. Well, because the more we understand, and this is why I've been doing this whole series, and and believe me, it's not fun reading these authors. <laughs> so, But I've been delving into a lot of these leftist thinkers so that I can give these talks on their ideas so that people understand what we're facing today. And so I think the more that we can just get information out there, this is who these people are, this is what they're saying, and this is where our ideas are coming from, it causes people to then start to recognize the assumptions behind what they're saying. And it starts to get people to recognize, oh, wait, that's what that term means. Oh, that's the assumption underneath this. And so I think the best way to combat it, as I said, I think education. Now, certainly we could talk about any of his general ideas or any of these ideas and combating them in particular. But in terms of, of the broadest sense, I really do think that furthering our understanding of these ideas and where they come from is going to make a, a huge impact. Finally, with only 30 seconds here, why is it important for Christians to understand the outlines of Foucault's ideas and influences? It's very important for Christians because this does impact the church as much as it impacts the world. And, you know, I've seen plenty of books that use Foucault's historical method in analyzing the history of the church as well. So we can't think that we are somehow immune in the church to the influences of the broader culture. And I think in the church, sometimes we can we can think that we are. Like, of course, that wouldn't affect us, but it really does. And it also affects the critiques of Christianity that show up in our broader culture. So the more we understand people like Foucault, the more we're going to understand the challenges that the church not only faces today, but is going to continue to face. And so it can force us and help us to prepare ourselves to have an apologetic that is actually going to address the ideas that are coming at us from all over the place. And especially as, you know, if you're a pastor, if you're a parent, you need to be able to teach and shield the people that you are called to shepherd and lead in whatever vocation you have been given so that they can be protected against these ideas. Dr. Jordan Cooper is executive director of Justin Sinner president of the American Lutheran Theological Seminary and host of a YouTube video titled Michel Foucault on Power. You'll find a link to this video on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Jordan, thank you. Thank you.